So you think our buddy uh, Steve is in Atlantic City right now? I hope. That would be awesome. Cool. We have a listener who's in Atlantic City, maybe. I mean, the most shocking part of that is that we have a listener. Welcome to episode six of Do For A Win, the Atlantic City and Casino Biz podcast. My name is Craig Stone. With me is Kyle Askin. Howdy. So following up on the last episode where we talked a lot about state stuff, that I think was the title of the episode, state stuff, uh, some things have changed and some things that we thought were definitely going to happen (laughs) did not happen, specifically the pilot bill. Then... There was a press conference out of the blue, and some more state stuff happened. So uh, hopefully this won't take up nearly as much time as it did on the last episode, but it's definitely worth talking about everything that happened um, with the state legislation and how it's going to affect the city. So, So the first thing is when we last talked two weeks ago, the pilot bill, payment in lieu of taxes, that set a baseline of $120 million guaranteed to the city in tax revenue instead of property taxes that have all been reassessed. It slashed the tax base for Atlantic City. Everyone seemed on board. It passed the state Senate. It passed the assembly. It was headed to Christie's desk. And, you know, it had been altered with Christie's changes. And everyone assumed he was going to sign it and it would be good to go. It needed to be signed by noon on Tuesday, January 20th. It did not happen. He didn't sign it. He just kind of left it there. I believe that's called a pocket veto. And so it died. And that's that. So apparently there were some last minute changes made um, based on some suggestions from Kevin Lavin, who was the emergency manager appointed by Christie. He will have more about him (laughs) in a few minutes, but he was saying the cash flow is going to dry up in April without the pilot program, so it was really necessary that it happened. Um, And it didn't happen. So Christie, you know, sat on the thing, didn't let it happen. What does this mean? Well, I mean, we can get to what it means in the future, but at at the time, I mean, because, you know, more information has come out about what it actually meant. But at the time, I think everyone was completely shocked because, like you said, Chris Christie was the one who suggested the changes that the legislature made to the bill in the first place. And they basically integrated all of his changes into the bill, and then he vetoed it again, which, like I said, for a day or two uh, before this press conference happened was shocking to, I think, everybody in South Jersey politics. Yeah, and yeah, I thought it was a done deal. Everybody thought it was a done deal. Um, A couple of little details. It would have eliminated the the AC alliance, which is the do AC campaign. Basically, it's the arm that ran that. Um, That was funded with $30 million in casino revenue that actually used to go to horse racing. I'm all for diverting money from horse racing. (laughs) Uh, It came out that there's a $33.5 million gap uh, assigned to what's called the Casino Revenue Alternative Payment, or CRAP. And I, I never saw a good explanation of exactly what that is. 
Um, I know that that was sort of rolled into a discussion about how this is going to balance the budget. Um, and it's really confusing to me. <laughs> I'm assuming this it's just another term basically for pilot revenue. Yeah. I mean, I, I that's my assumption. But it's pretty great that it's named crap. Yep. Um, so out of that, first, Don Guardian wrote a, an open letter where he basically said, what the hell? Um, so he kind of said, look, you sent Kevin Lavin down here, hired this state-appointed emergency manager, and, you know, I could have kicked and screamed and said, I'm not going to do anything with this guy or fought against him the entire way, but it's been a great relationship. We've welcomed him. I've done everything he said. I think he said he did like over 95, 90 or 95% of what Lavin suggested. Uh, it seemed like Lavin was happy with the direction that, that everything was going and happy with what Guardian was doing. And so he wrote a pretty good, um, pretty good op-ed that I'll link to in the show notes describing uh, sort of everything that went down and pointing out some issues like the fact that Atlantic City sends a ton of money to the state, uh, like the fact that the state is not paying property taxes on land that they own in Atlantic City uh, and, and things like that and kind of made a really convincing argument as to why it's ridiculous that Steve Sweeney very quickly came out and said, well, we should you know, take over Atlantic City uh, before April. So the reason that Sweeney wants to take over Atlantic City before April or discussed it in those terms is because, like I mentioned, the cash flow is going to dry up. Um, and so there was a couple days of discussion about that. There was an Atlantic City council meeting scheduled, an emergency council meeting to discuss a bankruptcy. So after the pilot bill didn't go through, everyone sort of seemed to be thinking, well, maybe bankruptcy is our only option. So they scheduled an emergency meeting for uh, this past Tuesday. And that meeting never happened because... That, that's actually not true. Oh, it, it happened happen, after but, the press conference. Yes. Right, okay. So before that happened, Chris Christie called a press, press conference without really announcing what it was about, and it sort of leaked ahead of time that this is going to be about Atlantic City. This is not going to be about the big storm that happened. This is not going to be about him saying that, um, you know, what, does he need to go down to North Wildwood with a mop or calling the mayor of North Wildwood a crazy person or any of that, although that was what all the questions was about. were about. <laughs> uh, it was... Chris Christie flanked on both sides by Steve Sweeney, the Senate president, and AC's Mayor Don Guardian, basically saying the state is going to be more involved in Atlantic City's finances. The word takeover was never used. Christie and Guardian both called it a partnership. Uh, they talked about the need to create new legislation that would include the pilot bill, but would also include expanded state involvement. Christie and Sweeney both mentioned issues about government size in Atlantic City, about collective bargaining agreements that, um, you know, maybe the city needs to get out from under. I know the police force was mentioned as a huge cost that they needed to figure out something to do about. Uh, and Christie and Sweeney both said they want to create legislation. They want to pass it in February. Let's move this thing along and, and get this done. At one point, Don Guardian came up and he did not look so happy during this thing. Um, I don't. I don't know if you watched the live feed. 
I did. Um, he looked pretty dour. And when he actually came up, he kind of mostly spoke positively. Uh, he did at one point say, you know, I, I know everybody was expecting kind of more fireworks, if you will. Um, I think w- what he said was, you're not excited about this being a kumbaya moment. Um, I think there was sort of a hint of sarcasm there. Of course, Christie very quickly jumped on it and later answered a question by saying, like, well, I'm going to quote the mayor and say that this is a kumbaya moment. Uh, so that's clearly what he wants to get in the papers. But, you know, obviously all this is related to what we talked about last episode for 40 some odd minutes. <laughs> so what does this mean now? You know, obviously they're trying to group in pilot. They need to include other stuff, more state involvement. How has how have things changed in the last two weeks? Um, so I think the short answer, honestly, despite us just you know talking about this for ten more minutes or whatever, and there apparently have been a lot of news about it, is not actually a whole lot has changed. Um, from what I've heard, basically what this bill that's going to be introduced is going to do allegedly is it's going to quote unquote increase state involvement in Atlantic City's finances, which honestly the state had full control of Atlantic City's finances already. So I mean it's gonna give them more direct control over some things, whereas before they just had basically the right to tell Atlantic City like you can't do that. Um, it's going to basically have a version of the pilot bill in it for Atlantic City. So I don't actually think that much has changed. I mean, the state probably is going to have slightly more control over Atlantic City than they did before, but from everything I've heard, uh, it's going to be a lot of the same stuff that was going to happen before this pilot bill got vetoed. So the word takeover was never used in the press conference. Is this a takeover? From what I've read and from what I've heard, and not just from Don Guardian, from everyone involved in the local Atlantic City politics, they all seem to be reasonably happy about this. So I'm going to say no, it's not simply because if it was, there would still be these huge problems. Um, But like I said, the state already has more or less full control over Atlantic City's finances now. I mean, any hires that Atlantic City makes, any salary adjustments Atlantic City makes, any contract Atlantic City is going to sign. The state actually has full veto power, basically, over any of that stuff. So, you know, the state taking control of Atlantic City's finances isn't really that big of a deal. So, out of all that, Kevin Lavin, who was the emergency manager who had done a lot in Atlantic City and made a lot of recommendations and just recently written a, a report... He took another job. <laughs> so I don't know if he sort of felt like, well, I've written my report and they kind of ignored it and I'm getting out of here. Or if he said, well, if you're coming in and taking over, there's no role for me here. He's going to be the co-president of the company at Ancura Consulting Group, a business advisory and expert services firm. It's a very general type of firm. So he's gone. That's it for him in Atlantic City. Uh, you know, thanks for the reports and and good luck on your next venture, I guess. Well, so I think what happened is he had like a, a fixed contract length there and I think it just ran out. 
Like, I think when he handed in his report, that was sort of the end of his time there. I don't think it was that he quit or anything like that. It was... Yeah, I mean, it didn't. It definitely didn't seem like he was, you know, storming off in a fit of rage. It's it's kind of weird that the description of it is just kind of like, well, he got a new job, as though any, as if anybody else got a new job. I mean, it does say it was his final report. You know, it was his final report, mm-hmm. which is due at the end of June, but was released two weeks ago. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it seems like you know that was the report, and and he's done. I do know some people in Atlantic City were were unhappy about how much he was paid because I think it recently came out that for what he did he got something like two point five million dollars from the state and I think that the general viewpoint is that it was excessive considering, you know, that the whole crisis is about the city not having any money. Yeah, I mean And there's the question of like what did he really provide? Right. And when he first got hired there was talk about his insanely high hourly rate. But, you know, there aren't that many people out there with the mark on their resume that they go into cities that are going to declare bankruptcy and and try to help those cities either avoid bankruptcy or navigate bankruptcy. So it's a pretty small pool. Um, You know, I'm not saying that it was a smart way to spend that amount of money, but I don't think it's out of line with what other places spent or would have spent on that. I mean, I don't necessarily have a problem with it. I think that is just some of the perception. And, I mean, I think some of the stuff that, you know, really bothers the people in Atlantic City about this is, I I don't know if you read, there was actually a couple of really in-depth articles about Atlantic City in the last two weeks in the Washington Post, which is my local newspaper. Uh, One about, well, the first one, which I think was last week, was about uh, Donald Trump and his time there, which doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about now, so I'll gloss over it. But uh, the second one that just came out a couple days ago was about Chris Christie and his relationship with Atlantic City. And it went in depth about basically how much control the state has had in Atlantic City over the last five years. Um, Like, I believe starting in 2011, the state had full control, more or less, of the basically of all the casinos, all the casinos, Atlantic City didn't have say in any of that. And, you know, the state, this do AC thing that they would have gotten rid of in the pilot bill, like that's completely run by the state. The city has nothing to do with that. And you talked briefly about all these properties that the state owns that the casino has nothing to do with, or that the city has nothing to do with. So it's not like all of these issues are the city's fault. The state has had a lot of, has done a lot of meddling in Atlantic City in the last five years. Right, and I think one thing that I've said, and that actually that story actually came out the day of the press com- the press conference. <laughs> um, you know, that morning that article was on the front page, and then that day Christie's talking about a state takeover. So you you know, there's an argument that it's damage control, <laughs> and and we talked a little bit about sort of the attempt to to change perception and. Maybe you could argue that he called this press conference and talked about increased state control as a way to hint that they did not have great state control or to downplay their previous state control. Um, again, I'm taking the cynical side. Uh, casino news. So less less state news, more specific casino news. Glenn Straub announced that he plans to reopen Revel with a smaller casino and a water park. And I know that I said on the last 
podcast that it would not make any sense to open up a water park in Revel when we talked about the Atlantic Club water park falling through. Um, there's no timetable on the casino. Water park construction is supposed to begin in late May. All indications are nothing's going to be done for the summer. You know, if you're beginning construction in late May, <laughs> obviously that's into the peak season already. Um, he still hasn't completed his application for a state casino license. He still hasn't brought in a casino manage, management company, which he said he's going to do. But, you know, May is still four months away, right? So what do you think about this declaration? Is it something that's actually going to happen? Is it just another one of his ideas that may never come to fruition? What happens here in the next four months? I mean, I feel like it's... You can never predict what's going to happen with Glen Straub and Revel. I mean, it sounds like they're going to be trying to open the casino sometime soon. I initially saw May. Now I'm seeing June. But, uh, or I mean, not the casino, the hotel. But it's kind of, it seems kind of strange to me to open the hotel with, like, no casino, no anything, right? I mean, you might have a few food places and maybe a couple bars, but I don't know. It just seems strange to me. Well, one way to, but, one way to deal with the tenants would be to uh, tell them that they can have their leases and that he's opening the, <laughs> opening the hotel with no casino or other attractions and they're more than welcome to open and just bleed money. Right, and even worse, there's not even a showboat. I mean, there's just nothing up there. So let's suspend our disbelief for a second and, and ignore that he has four months to change his mind on this. What do you think about the plan, about a smaller sort of boutique, if you will, casino and a water park? I think, I mean, I don't know about the water park. I mean, it could be good. I mean, he's got a lot of hotel rooms to fill. And certainly with the previous administration of the casino, the size casino they had before was far too big because, I mean, there were times when we were in there that employees outnumbered patrons. Yeah, and there are also whole swaths of empty floor, not, ne- right. not necessarily on the casino floor, but if you walk up towards the bathrooms upstairs around the poker room, you'd just be wandering this empty space where it seemed like no human had ever traveled. Right. Um, so, as the, you know, I was kind of thinking you could put a casino in that sort of smaller space, and have it be this intimate casino setting, and then use the much larger floor for something else. I don't know what that something else is. <laughs> I don't know if it's part of the water park, or if it's like this now thing that they're, everybody's talking about in Vegas, which is like this kind of loungy, millennial-centric space where people just hang out, and maybe there's a blackjack table if they want to gamble, but hey, if you just want to sit on a chair, that's totally cool. Like, I don't know if that's the way it goes. Um, I originally, obviously, was super skeptical about the idea of Revel having a water park just because I feel like it's so big and so nice that it seemed like an odd investment to spend that much changing it that much. (laughs) But the more I think about it, the more I think... I do think it makes sense to have a much smaller casino, like you said. 
and it needs some sort of attraction. Like this idea that you can bring families to this water park in this really fancy hotel and then, you know, the kids go to bed and maybe, you know, dad or mom can go down and play some craps or play a little blackjack or, or play some slots. Um, that actually doesn't sound like a bad business model, especially if you can incorporate the beach in some way and really make it this full experience. My concern is whether or not they can do it without it seeming like it's just these things stapled together. Like, here's a casino, here's a water park, here's some nightclubs. Like, and just throwing everything together kind of the way I feel that T Street was in the playgrounds, but actually making it good and feel cohesive and feel both inviting to families, but also with this adult sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's important, right? I mean, if we... And you know that... I'm very high on the Revel property itself. I really enjoyed that property when it was around. Um, thanks, Samuel. Um, he agrees. Yes. And if it's something like, you know, like the water park and the casino are close together, like that'll totally mess up the feel of everything. So I'm interested to see in how it all plays out. I mean, there's probably a way to do it where it's fine and it's not noticeable. And the people like us who want to go to the casino can go to a casino and have a nice time. And for the families that want to go to the water park or go to the beach or go to the whatever shops or whatever, they can do that. But it seems like an easy thing that you could really mess up. I, I guess the problem is I haven't seen anything from Straub, right? Like, all we've heard is ideas, and a lot of those ideas have been crazy, but we haven't actually seen anything get developed. We haven't seen any plans. Um, so, on the one hand, I'm optimistic, and what I sort of was picturing in my mind was, like, me and my wife went to Puerto Rico for our honeymoon. There were small casinos in a lot of the hotels. You know, not tiny casinos, but, like, smaller than what you'd get in Atlantic City. And... Uh, and they're off to the side, and they don't feel intrusive, and there's other stuff going around, on, and there's other attractions, like a big pool area, and, you know, clubs, and dancing, and all that stuff, and uh, and you don't necessarily feel like the casino is the focus. So, I wonder if they can sort of pull off a similar feel. Is that good, though? I mean, so, for, like, us, who are primarily gamblers, I'd say, do you want to go... I mean, you wouldn't make a trip to one of these hotels in Puerto Rico to gamble, right? Oh, no, absolutely not. Right. So, I mean, it just depends on what their business model is, what his business model is. And if he thinks that he's going to be making all his money from families, then I think it's fine. But it's going to, if he ends up doing something like that, it's going to hurt his gaming revenue. Yeah, the question is, are you willing to totally sacrifice your gaming revenue or sacrifice a huge percentage of your gaming revenue to be an attraction that is not a gaming attraction? Because I think that's the direction you have to go. You can't just say, okay, this is a casino, but we've also got this water park. I think you've got to say, this is a water park. It's going to attract people on its own merits, but then, you know, we've got a gaming license, so we're going to have a casino, and that's going to be another revenue stream. It can't be sort of either 50-50 or we're going to have mostly casino revenue and also a water park. Like, I just don't think that works out. I mean, if he wants to do that, why doesn't he just buy Atlantic Club for $10 million and make a kick-ass water park there? And then 
have Rebel be a kick-ass casino. But, you know, he doesn't own those other places. He owns Rebel, so... And he's got a lot of space that, he, that he's got to do something with. Yeah, it is big. I mean, it's just... It makes me sad, because, like I said, I really, really enjoyed the Rebel. I mean, I will admit, the casino floor did not need to be as big as it was. But, I don't know. We'll see what they do. I mean, I'll, I'll withhold my judgment, and it could be that whatever they end up creating, I could really like. But I'm just nervous about it now. Skeptical. Yeah, uh, put me in the skeptical camp also. Um, so, speaking of changes and renovations, if you can call those renovations, I mean, I think you'd have to call them renovations, uh, the Borgata may be the least in need of renovations in Atlantic City, has announced $50 million in renovations. Uh, some of that we've talked about. We've talked about the Premier Nightclub. We've talked about the Michael Simon Italian restaurant. Um, but they have announced an outdoor pool. Uh, this will replace the outdoor festival space, which just opened last June. They released a preview video. It was all CGI. It spun around a lot and made me a little nauseous. Um, but... <laughs> From what I could gather from the, the preview video, it's not a huge pool. It looks bigger than Golden Nuggets outdoor pool. Um, there are lots of chairs. There are some cabanas. It didn't look like there was anything like swim up blackjack. Uh, there were some ping pong tables. There were, uh, you know, some hammocks under trees. And it looked like kind of this very loungy pool. Uh, there's a structure they kind of zoom past in the video that I'm assuming has to be a bar, because I'm assuming there just has to be a bar. Uh, they don't really focus on a bar, but they are opening an outdoor pool. It seems like there's not a whole lot of this in Atlantic City. Uh, so what do you think about the board getting a, not necessarily large, but a significant addition in an outdoor pool? I mean, I think it just goes to what we were saying uh, last episode or a couple episodes ago where it looks like they're trying to change the demographic of who's coming there to make it uh, sort of slightly younger people because Sue loves that kind of stuff. Nice big pool with the bar and the ping pong tables and all that. Um, so I guess it's just uh, more in that plan. Yeah, I think it all works together, right, with their, with the the uh, the club. Um, I think again, this kind of goes to what attracts people beyond just the gambling. The one note that you have in here about the uh, pool at Borgata is you say is it is it really hot enough to put this kind of investment into building a, you know however many million dollar pool in a climate where realistically in the best of times you're looking at Memorial Day to Labor Day. And I think it's probably all right. I mean, that's their high season anyway. Uh, I think if it gets pretty heavy use during that time, it will be seen as a success. And honestly, the pools aren't open all that much longer in Vegas. I've been in Vegas many times where all of the pools were closed and you couldn't go to them even though it's still 90 degrees outside. You know, obviously, Harrah's has the pool that's under a dome and it's open year-round. Yep. Vegas is going that way a little bit. I think Cosmo is putting a structure over one of their pools so that their day club can be open all year-round. This obviously won't have that option. Um, 
so I'm really interested to see if this takes off because it's something that you know Vegas has this allure of like the Caesars giant pool and the Cosmo pool scene and just you know some of the places like Mandalay Bay have a wave pool and a lazy river and all this stuff and none of that's in Atlantic City and we're getting you know we're not getting that now but we're getting a little bit more than what we had certainly before this thing <laughs> existed you know even Golden Nugget um when they opened as Golden Nugget, they sort of focused a little more on promoting their pool, even though it's not a particularly big pool. So it'll be interesting to see if this is something that uh, takes off and, and gets popular. Yeah, I mean, I'm interested to see. But, but in, in Atlantic City's defense, uh, like we mentioned before, Vegas does have a lot of things that Atlantic City doesn't have in terms of pools, but I, I think the pool at Harris is fairly unique and I don't know if there's anything necessarily like that in Vegas, and that's something that's pretty cool that already exists. Yeah, and one thing that I think obviously bears mentioning, or maybe it doesn't even need to be mentioned, is that most of the other casinos are on the ocean. <laughs> um, and Borgata, obviously, is just a quick jitney ride away from the ocean, but um, it's not at the boardwalk. It's not on the ocean. So one other thing that Borgata did that I know you are nervous about <laughs> is that they are partnering with a management company on transforming the cafeteria food court, which currently houses Fatburger. Yes, among those. Uh, Tony Luke's, Ben and Jerry's, Panda Express, yeah. some other stuff. Japanese place, a salad place, a pizza place. Oh, Tony Luke's is a pizza place. Uh, it's yep. a, Tony Luke's is the cheesesteak place. Oh, right. So there is a pizza place. So they're transforming that uh, into a new casual dining eatery called the Marketplace Eatery. It is, in the press release, it says it is a casual dining experience located below Borgata's Poker Room and the Race Book, supplanting the space currently occupied by the cafeteria. So my reaction immediately, knowing you especially, was, oh my God, is Fat Burger gone? Is, is, is it out of here? Are they going to find some new space for it? Is it still going to be there, but they're just redoing the decorations? Several other Twitterers expressed similar dismay. Um, and very quickly, there were tweets to Borgata saying, oh my goodness, are all these places closing? Someone whose Twitter handle was almost as special tweeted, it would be a colossal mistake to close Fatburger, Panda Express, and Tony Luke's. Um, I don't know if I'd go so far as to say colossal mistake, but certainly uh, losing some of your favorite places and then an area that we went to get lunch many, many times when we were in, in the city. So what do you think about this? What do you think about this decision? I mean, I think in a vacuum, I don't know. I mean, they haven't actually announced exactly what they're going to be doing, what's going to stay, what's going to go. I mean, they can't make that whole place a one place that's a casual eatery because it's humongous. I mean, I don't think they can anyway. Um, maybe they will, but... You know, on a personal level, uh, I like having the Fat Burger in Borgata. I think for within a year or a year and a half, if they clo end up closing both the Fat Burger and the uh, Earl of Sandwich, which is gone since Joe Boat is gone in Atlantic City, that will make me very, very sad. Yeah, I, I definitely, my immediate reaction was that it's a fairly nice cafeteria as is. Right. Um, it's... Food court. It's basically a food right. court. It is a food court. I mean, yep. it's a fairly nice food court. Um, yep. And it doesn't 
seem like a lot of the places are particularly old. Uh, you know, it's not like no, it's pretty. That's pretty new. Back so back when I first started going to Atlantic City, the poker room was downstairs. So it was sometime not too long ago that they changed it from the poker room into the cafeteria. So on the one level, I understand it because it's a big space, and when you're down there. There are all these unused tables. You know, it feels like they could have a third of as many tables as they have down there. And there's a very large space that I'm guessing is probably a artifact of it having had the poker room. On the other hand, I'm concerned that they are really removing all the cheap dining to a point where there's really, other than bread and butter, which is more of a breakfasty type place and is even, you know, a little expensive for the breakfast. Um, you know, for what it is, which is basically like a pastry shop and a coffee shop and, and some sandwiches. Um, are they removing all that in, in favor of sort of a classier but also more expensive um, version of what's effectively like cheapish food that you'd get in like an airport terminal, <laughs> which is sort of how I feel about some of these places like oh, it looks really nice, and then you can buy a sandwich that is not as good as a sandwich that you'd get at Earl of Sandwich, but costs twice as much. <laughs> I do have to say, my my one comment is that the Earl of Sandwich in the showboat was actually not a very good Earl of Sandwich, which is to say it was a good place to eat, because a bad Earl of Sandwich is better than most other places, but among Earl of Sandwiches, it is the worst one I've ever been to. <laughs> Even worse than the one in the it's, it's Maryland It's worse than the one in the, in the rest stop in uh, Maryland. Great. Um, so that's an important caveat. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. There's very little about it. I tweeted at the Borgata and said, hey, what does this mean? Is Fatburger gone? And they never tweeted back. Um, so get on it, social media team. What the hell? Hit me up. Tell me what's going on with the Fatburger. I wield influence around here. Expect results. Yeah, man, you have like what? 30 followers? I've got like 56 followers, I think. <laughs> and only 40-some of them are totally fake marketing accounts. Moving on with renovations, the Tropicana is planning $25 million uh, in renovations that will update 500 rooms in the Havana Tower. Uh, it will remake the South Tower Casino area, which I can't picture in my mind which one is the South Tower. Um, it'll add a high-limit slot area just off the Palm Walk, which is the really tall room with the palm trees, and it will redo the Asian room. So just a little more detail, the Havana Tower is that big, tall tower connected to the quarter that looks like it has an orange juicer on the top of it. Um, the North Tower, which is one of the other towers, uh, their rooms were upgraded just last year. I think until maybe five or six years ago, the Havana Tower was actually the one with the most recently upgraded room, uh, updated rooms. So it's not like those rooms are super old, but I, I get the sense that they were feeling a little dated. Um, I looked at TripAdvisor a little bit, and people were kind of saying, like, oh, if, if these are the the nice, quote-unquote, rooms in, in Tropicana, then that's not very good. So, you know, always good to have updated rooms, always good to see more innovation. Uh, they put a bunch of money into renovation last year, and it seems like they're continuing to invest. Uh you know, I don't, I don't know if there's really a whole lot to say about this because we don't know that much about sort of what the rooms are going to look like or what's changing. But, you know, $25 million in investment is $25 million in investment. 
Yeah, I mean, like, I think this just follows along what we've been saying over, I mean, the whole time we've been having this podcast, which is that, say what you will about Carl Icahn, he has put a lot of money into the Tropicana, and it is becoming a first-class casino in Atlantic City. Yeah, I agree, and so we talked a little bit about about that, and we'll get into it more in a few minutes, um, which is that you know, should that be where we take our money if we leave the total rewards uh, ecosystem? But real quick, one more thing. Shaq, Shaquille O'Neal, is one of the backers of a $75 million development project that includes some homes, a Shaq Cityplex movie theater complex um, in the neighborhood near Revel and Showboat, so behind Revel and Showboat. Uh, yep. I don't have too much detail on it other than that you know it's probably good to have Shaquille O'Neal as an investor and somebody who's going to be a public face around the area if he in fact is going to be a public face around the area uh, his face was certainly on the article that I read about it <laughs> um, but it'll be interesting to see what happens with this I mean 75 million dollars is not a gigantic amount of money in Atlantic City terms it doesn't seem like but it's it's interesting in that it's more towards the neighborhood side. Like, this is geared at residents, right? It's not geared at us who are coming into town to gamble and then leaving. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, you never know. I think that any time someone comes in and tries to develop a nice residential area in Atlantic City, that's probably going to be seen as a big win for the city because, honestly, you know, that's kind of what they need, at least in my eyes, coming in as a tourist into Atlantic City. It's the kind of place where if I had more money and I was like, eh, I want to buy a vacation house somewhere, like, as much as I love Atlantic City, like, I would never buy a vacation house there because of just the perception of, you know, is it safe? Is it somewhere that, you know, my house is going to be worth anything in 10 years and a lot of other reasons. So I think... Revitalizing the casinos is nice, but trying to actually revitalize Atlantic City itself, which is what this is doing, as compared to all of the casino upgrades and stuff, is, in a way, perhaps even more important to the future of Atlantic City. I mean, it probably is, is more important to the future of Atlantic City. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those things that probably doesn't affect us that much directly, but in the long term, it's just really important that this kind of stuff happens. So hopefully this totally takes off. It you know makes a lot of money and and does really well um, and we sort of see the betterment of the non-casino area of Atlantic City. All right, I mean I've kind of you know I moved just for people local to Washington D.C. I I ended up moving into downtown Silver Spring basically right after they did a huge urban revitalization there, which was I think a booming success. And where I live now in Laurel, they're in the midst of a huge, basically, revitalization, and they're going to build a humongous urban center there, which I'm hoping is also going to be a huge success. So I think this kind of thing can really help uh, the surrounding area. So I want to get back to a little bit about what we talked about last episode, which was um, should we be ditching total rewards and spending our time and money elsewhere? Uh, so I just wanted to ask, do you, do you want to go more into depth about what sort of inspired your desire to ditch total rewards and, and start building up your comps and spending your gambling dollars uh, at other casinos? Yeah, we can talk about it. So like I said, 
uh, back five years ago, six years ago, when I moved back to the East Coast and we started going back to Atlantic City, um, we've basically been gambling at Caesars Entertainment properties that entire time, more or less, right? Right. So, and I think the main reason we did that was because they had four casinos in Atlantic City and they had, you know, 10 or however many casinos in Las Vegas. And that was at a time where I was going to Las Vegas either once or twice every year. We were going to Atlantic City, I don't know, four, five, six times a year. And so having the variety of choices available to me was super important. It was the most important thing because I was going a lot. I wanted to make sure I was getting free rooms in Vegas because I was going there a decent bit. And so it was just the most sensible. But, you know, like we talked about last episode, our basically where we are in life is different. I have a three-month-old. You have a, you know, nine-month-old. And so it's not like we're going to be going to Vegas a whole lot. We're not even going to be going to Atlantic City all that much. So the big advantage that Caesars had, which is that, you know, we've got all these different casinos, isn't really a huge advantage for us now. So I think we'll be able to pick where we want to gamble just because we enjoy it there. I I think you definitely make a good point, and we've both sort of had various ups and downs in our experiences with Total Rewards and with Caesars and our feelings about Caesars. And I'd certainly love and welcome the opportunity to look elsewhere. Um, One of the things that I kept thinking about in the interim in the last couple of weeks is, you know, Total Rewards and Caesars as a company is really known as the company that comps and, and rewards their low rollers the best. Um, so I guess part of the question is, you know, do you really feel like you're appreciated by Caesars because you're getting, you know, free rooms and, and other sort of little perks or do you, you know, even though they give that to you, do you not really feel that appreciated? I feel, I personally feel appropriately appreciated by Caesars. I mean, even though, Okay, so let's let's go into some some background, which I've mentioned a few times during the podcast that I am Diamond. I basically got that through the Diamond in a Day program that they have, and I got it playing nine six jacks or better for like six or seven hours at once. And I did that specifically to become Diamond, and it didn't cost me all that much money. So honestly, I'm probably one of the very worst Diamond players in their entire system <laughs> when they look at you know, how much, you know, expected daily take they are going to get from me. So for what I do there, I feel like I'm treated fairly. So one of the things I was thinking about is that sometimes I actually don't really feel appreciated. And when I was thinking about what I want out of the program, I was thinking, you know, free rooms, free drinks, good fast drink service. Caesars checks all those boxes. I mean, as far as like what they're offering me in rooms, it's far better than what I'm getting from anywhere else, although that probably is just a, a reflection of that I gamble there, more there than anywhere else. But, you know, they've got this sort of entry system where you can punch in what drink you want. It comes out pretty fast. I would say their drink service is, is really good. Um, and yet I still feel somehow like they don't appreciate my time or my money and I was wondering if a big part of that is that it's so robotic and it feels so corporate 
And, you know, when you're in the system, everything's done by algorithm. Like, your comps are all done by algorithm. You know, the drinks are done by a machine. And, and like, yeah, it's fast and it's efficient, but, you know, you see a little too much sort of exactly how you're valued, and maybe that's a little bit of a turnoff to me. I don't know if that makes any sense at all. I think it does to a point, and I think there's a certain class of person that, that it, it's really important them to feel like personally appreciated but I don't think I'm really that person so I'm not unhappy with how TR treats me. So I think part of it for me is that it when you when you have all this on the computer and you don't have to you know call a host or talk to a host and you know you see your rate calendar although we talked about how the rate calendar is not as clear as it used to be um, it's a little too obvious where you stack up you know, and and they're really the most transparent by far of any of the other players clubs in that, you know, it's pretty clear what it takes to earn a tier credit. It's very clear what it takes to get to the next status. Um, where I was looking up some of the other ones today, I was trying to do a status comparison and see like, oh, what would it take to get to like black status at Borgata or gold status at Tropicana or Premier Gold Nugget or any of that. And so, you know, Tropicana takes 20,000 points to get gold. Well, how do you get a point? Doesn't tell you. Uh, Borgata, you need to get a thousand comp dollars. How do you, what, what equals a comp dollar? What do you get? Uh, you know, how much slot play do you have to play to get a comp dollar? Doesn't tell you. Golden nugget, 4,000 points to get premier, 10,000 to get chairman. How many points? Doesn't tell you. So there's no way to know how fast you're achieving it. You just kind of, you know, get home and check your card, and all of a sudden you've got X number of points. You know, Caesars will make it perfectly clear. It's like $10 in at a slot machine is one point, $50 on some of the full-pay video poker machines. I think it's $20 on a regular video poker machine. Nobody makes it as clear as Caesars does to get those it's points. Fi- it's 5 and 10. It's I think it's 5 for slots and 10 for most video poker. Okay, but, so they, but they make it very clear, and nobody else does, I think. So, so that's... In an odd way, like while I like that and while I should appreciate that, there's something about it that I think makes it a little too obvious, like what their expectations are of you. <laughs> and I think that's a little bit of a turnoff. But I think maybe that's also plays into the fact that I feel like the experience and the customer, face to face customer relationships are not great at Caesar's properties. Like I feel like I'm treated much, much better at Borgata by by dealers, by, you know, servers. I just feel like everyone's friendlier. Even by other players, I feel like they're friendlier than at Caesars Properties. So, so you know, part of that is probably just my bias of of the experience that I feel when I'm in the casino. Um, but part of it is also that, like, we talk about all the time checking the room rates, and you feel great when you check that room rate, and you when you check that calendar and you see comp, 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 comp. When you check it a day later and all of a sudden it says like 150 bucks, you're like, oh, what did I do wrong? Or like you feel like somehow you're getting something pulled away from you, even though it's totally just an algorithm. Um, and part of it is also that, you know, Borgata's room rates don't change that often. Tropicana's room rates really don't change very often at all. You know, if it's it's basically whatever, like 59 bucks on weeknights and 100 something or, you know, maybe more than that on, on weekends. And if you check a week later, it's going to be the same. Total rewards, you check later that night, it may not be the same. So they're a little, I think, part of the issue, my, my issue also, is that they're a little too 
active with their algorithm, which probably makes them a ton of money. But if you're like me and you're checking just constantly, it creates sort of some some feeling of like, well, why don't I get a comp on this night? I should get a comp. And it's that sort of entitlement that <laughs> maybe it's my downfall, but it does bother me a little bit, maybe totally irrationally. I mean, I understand where you're coming from. And I do have to say, I don't think it's your bias talking when you say you think that the waitresses and the dealers and the pit bosses are nicer at Borgata than they are at Caesars. I think that's just true, probably. Oh, I mean, we've talked about that many times that, you know, if people are going to go gamble their money away and basically give you their money by the handful, you should really make go out of your way to, like, treat them well and make them feel welcome, right? And make them not feel intimidated by something that can be an intimidating process, especially, like, sitting at a table game. Um, and Borgata does a great job of that, and I don't think Caesars does a good job of that at all. Right. So... Moving along to something that's very related, which is hosts. So we had our first listener email uh, from Steve, who is a listener who hadn't been doing the casino thing that much until he went on a golf trip in July. Uh, he really caught the bug. He's been back about a dozen times since then, uh, which is, you know, I've been once since July. So he's really, you know, he's hitting up Atlantic City pretty regularly. He said he's only he only really gambles at Caesar's properties uh, because sometimes he goes with a friend who has a host at Caesar's and they get comps in the best tower. They get their food taken care of. You know, they don't even see a bill. Probably uh, they get money left for them to go play golf at the Atlantic City Country Club. But he felt like while that's great on an individual level, he's not all that happy with how he as his own player um, is getting rated. And his accumulation of credits. So he said he mo plays mostly craps in three-card poker. Um, so this is a quote from his email. Caesars gives me free rooms at either either at Caesars or Bally's pretty much whenever I want to go down, but that's where they stop. I also don't get the Centurion or Ocean Tower as often as I would like. Um, that's something that I can definitely relate to, although I'm not playing at the levels that he's playing. Uh, you know, when I get Caesars comps, it's all Temple Tower. It's no, no Centurion Tower, no Ocean Tower, um, you know, I'll get Bally's pretty regularly, I'll get Harris pretty regularly, but not the nice towers like we talked about, not the Bayview or Waterfront Towers. Um, so, you know, if you're gambling a lot of money, that's very frustrating. Uh, and that's where having a host comes in, right? Is a host can say, can give you an explanation, or they can tell you, oh, we'll work something out, right? Right, you forwarded me on the email that Steve sent us. Um, thank you very much, Steve, for sending us the email. It's very exciting, it's our first one. But, um... I I think for the levels that he's playing at, getting a host probably makes a lot of sense. And, you know, while I'd say I think that the casinos are all generally going to treat you about the same, clearly there's going to be some variance from casino to casino, how well they'll treat a certain player. And I think that if you're the level of player where you can get a host and get free deals basically whenever... I mean, it's certainly in your best interest. If you just like playing your games and you like going to the steakhouse, you should do what's best for you and try to get the best deal that you possibly can. So so what he did that I thought was really cool was that he went out of his way to find a host. He went on LinkedIn, found a host um, at Golden Nugget, and sent him a message. Uh, and, and this is, again, from his email. I simply told him I'm not looking to waste his time. I told him how frequently I've been visiting AC, how much I bring with me, my average bet, and how long I normally play for. 
I stated that I was looking for a new casino, a new casino to gamble at and heard good things about the Golden Nugget. He invited me to be his guest and said that based on what I told him, he would take care of my rooms and food. So to me, as someone who's really a low roller, I had never even considered the option of reaching out to a host and trying to say, hey, look, this is what I bring. I'm not happy where I'm gambling at. Um, you know, you're a little higher level than I am, certainly, obviously, because you have diamond status. So he also said, I just want a clean room to sleep in, comparable to, to the Centurion Tower at Caesars, and somewhere to get a good steak. I want to be able to call him and say, hey, I want to come down this weekend or next weekend. What's better for you? And not be hassled by booking my room online. That is a really interesting thing to me because I am somewhat averse to talking to people <laughs> on the phone if I don't have to. Um, and also, I think it's really f the thought of, oh, what's better for you this week or next? Like, I'm so used to just frequently checking Caesars that I would never even think, like, oh, hey, what works for you? Like, I'll come when you have availability. Because Caesars is very, very clear with me, just based on rates. Just like, here you go, here are the rates. Do you want them or not? Um, so he's going to Golden Nugget in, he said... As of this email, he's going in two weeks, which should be right around now. He might be there tonight, maybe tomorrow, I don't know. I'm really interested to see, I hope he writes back and says sort of how the experience with the Golden Nugget host went, how he feels the experience differs from Caesars. Because I don't know how you feel, but my, my thoughts about Caesars are that they have sort of gone out of their way, except for the very, very high rollers, to do this sort of host by algorithm, where... Look, we don't need to spend money on hosts because we can give you the same offers that a host would give you even more accurate to your play level, meaning more beneficial to us and possibly more beneficial to you by having a huge database and having algorithms that are pouring over that database and figuring out what you want, what will get you into the casino, what's the best offer um, that will get you here. So I'm interested to see how that differs with Golden Nugget and how he feels his experience is different. So there's... Uh bunch of things there. So first, your idea that Caesars is trying to save money on hosts by doing everything through the algorithm, I don't necessarily think that's true. I mean, I don't think that, I mean, neither of us have ever worked with a host because honestly, we're not at that level of play, but I don't, I'm sure Caesars has plenty of hosts and I know that all these other company websites will send you automated offers and free rooms based on your play. So I don't necessarily think that that is true. I mean, it could be. I don't know. Because like I said, I don't work with hosts. I don't know how many hosts Caesars has compared to other casinos. Um, but I'm not sure that's necessarily the case. So do you want a host? If Like if you had the opportunity to get a host, is, is that something that you would actually want? Or do you prefer the, you know, I'll do this all by by the website and that'll tell me what my rates are and my offers are. I don't need to interact with another human being. Right. I mean, so for me personally, I mean, I'm, I also don't like talking to people really. I personally would probably rather just interact with a website to do everything that I do. However, there's a lot of people that really enjoy talking to people and they enjoy building this relationship with someone and they enjoy having someone that's going to theoretically look out for them in case anything ever comes up, and they'll do everything they can to try to make situations right, and they play at a high enough level where they can get that kind of service. And I absolutely understand why people love having hosts, and I think that's great. But for me, and how much I play, 
and just my personality. I'm not sure it's the right thing for me. I mean, it's something else that happens with a host is, you know, I, I book something online. Uh, like, you know, we're talking about trying to get a free room for this trip on February 19th. And so I book a free room through the Caesars website. I gamble $0 at Caesars. It hurts my feelings not at all because it doesn't affect a human being. It's just me and the system, and there's no repercussions for me doing what I've done, more or less, except that I'll get less comps in the future. But it's not like, A, there's not someone that's going to not pay for me because I didn't make the amount of play that I said I would, and B, you know, it's not like I'm actually hurting someone's numbers in their job by not playing as much as they thought I would. Yeah, so I, I, it's interesting. I thought about this a lot, and I, and my initial reaction was like, oh no, I had to talk to a person. Why would I want to do that? Um, but one of the things that I really like about the casino experience is the feeling that, you know, they sort of treat you like you've got more money than you do, and I think the host plays into that, and it's part of their job to play into that and to make you maybe spend more money than you would otherwise spend. Um, I mean, I think it would be really pretty awesome to have somebody that you could call and dial and, and they would sort of go to bat for you and say, okay, I'm going to get you this room on this night. Uh, what terrifies me is the play expectations. And I, I just feel like since I don't play high levels, I, I'd be so nervous about this idea that like, okay, you need to play quarter blackjack for four hours at a time, uh, you know, four hours a, a day to, to get a comp room. Like, so, I mean, I hate to break this to you, but you're not getting a host for quarter blackjack for four hours. Um, you know, whatever the rate is, I'd just be nervous about the play expectation. Um, so I actually reached out to several hosts that I was able to find their contact information, hoping that I would be able to get some more transparency on the relationship and, you know, do do, do people typically do it the way Steve did, where they reach out to the host and end up with a host, or do the host, does the host see the player in the database and say, oh, this guy plays a lot. Let me reach out and see if I can, you know, get them to come more often or get them to specifically to come to my casino. Um, I know you said you think it's probably both, and I didn't hear back from anyone. So I'm going to keep trying, and we'll, on a future episode, hopefully uh, be able to shed some more light on that topic. Uh, maybe I'll try some different people and see what I can come up with. Um, you know, if anybody happens to be listening that is a casino host, uh, reach out to us because I'd love to, to hear about the process. So, I mean, I actually, I, I've, you know, this is something that I've looked into for years and I, I feel like I have a generally pretty good idea of what, what the casinos are looking for and how they generally rate players. So, so basically you, you're going to get, the number that the casino cares about is something called ADT or um, it's basically your your average daily theoretical or or perhaps for out-of-towners like us, the ATT, the average trip theoretical. And so basically what they do is they look at the games you play and specifically about the games you play, uh, what the basically expected take from the casino is. So something like Blackjack, for example, like the casino's house edge is pretty low, so that would be bad. Whereas if you play something like, you know, I don't know, slot, slot machines or roulette a lot, 
you know, the house edge is very big, so the casino would like you a lot. Uh, so they look at what you play and the house edge of it, your average bet, and how long you play. And they use these numbers to figure out approximately how much money they're going to make from you each day or each trip that you're there. And what I've read for, you know, nice level casinos in Las Vegas is if you're around a three to 500 ADT, three to $500, uh, you're probably going to be able to get weekend comps and work with the host and other stuff like that. Um, in Atlantic City, I expect that it's probably a bit lower than that. Um, but still, getting comps in the summertime on the weekend is, is not an easy thing to do. Uh, it's not something that even when I was gambling a lot more than I am now, uh, it wasn't something that I had. Um, so I, I don't think it's that far off. Uh, my ADT was never really that high with the exception of, like I said, the one day that I decided I was going to get diamond in the day. <laughs> uh, then I th- and even that day, my ADT was something right around $300. That one specific day, which is the most I've ever gambled when right. I put $50,000 or $100,000 through, you know, jacks are better. Right. So, I mean, and that's definitely something, you know, you talk about 300 to 500, which doesn't sound that high, right? I mean, it's certainly, you know, you can lose that in in a half an hour at a blackjack table um, at yep. a at a fifteen dollar blackjack table, but that that's not you know if you, you know you lose three hundred dollars in a day that is not your ADT. No, your because your ADT is going to be way 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 lower than that because the expectation yep. is that you're getting you know ninety nine point five or something percent of what you yep. put into the blackjack table back. So just because you have shitty luck, it doesn't actually mean that you're you know deserve a host effectively. Um, right. So, yeah, I, I think like the general rule of thumb is to be at the level of play that they're really looking for to be able to get the comps, you know, whenever you want. It's like if you're going to play blackjack, it'll be like $100 a bet for four hours and you'll probably be there. So hopefully we'll get some more information um, direct from the host's mouth, if you will. Uh, so Steve also had a few questions that we can go through here. I know you've got to go in about 10 minutes, but, um, so he asked, first of all, what games do we normally play and how do we feel our comps rack up from them? Um, I know for myself, I play the majority of my time on jacks are better and slots, which are very transparent. You know, it's very clear what points you're getting for your play, especially at Caesars. It says right on the machine, how much you have to put in to get a point. Um, so that I don't think, is all that useful. You know, we, we also play Pygow Poker and Pygow Tiles. Those are certainly table games I play the most. I doubt I'm even getting rated at the levels that I'm playing on Poker and Tiles. Um, although, I'll say there are times where I go to Borgata and I own, all I do is sit and play Pygow Tiles for a couple hours, and I've got a few bucks in comps. So they're, you know, they're rating something there. <laughs> um, they're not Mirage. They're not MGM. Well, yeah, MGM who will just tell you don't even get out your card if it's less than, what, 20, a quarter. Uh, 25 bucks yeah. at the... Uh, yep. Yeah. That's, uh, that was ridiculous. Um, we play. I play a little bit of craps, but not very much at all. Um, very rarely play poker. But what about you? I, you know, you, I think you play... a certainly more table games than I do. So how do you feel like at the end of a trip, how do you feel like you're rated for the table games that you play? 
So I will say, generally speaking, regardless of what table game you play, you're not going to be rated that well for most table games. Uh, if you really want to rack up comps, the way to do it is to be a slot player. Uh, you know, I've put by far the most money into, you know, video poker machines probably throughout my time in Atlantic City, but they're honestly not rated that well depending on which machines you play and which casino and how they end up rating them. But uh, slot machines are really how to get comped very well. Uh, if you're going to play table games, it's it's basically the opposite order of like how good the house edge is. You know, you're going to get rated great for a roulette, then it's going to go to like, you know, three card poker, pie gal, craps, and blackjack. And though a few of those, it, it depends on how often you're making side bets and what you're exactly you're betting on and stuff like that. Right, and then, you know, all the crazy games that you've never heard of, like Let It, I mean, Let It Ride is pretty popular, Caribbean Stud, and then all the variations of those things, like Texas Hold'em, like those things... Mississippi Stud. Right, like those things are probably rated pretty well because... Four-card poker. Yes, they're, they're not, the odds are not in your favor. Yes, none of them have very good house odds for the player. Uh, so the next question he asks is, what do the different cards at each casino give you access to... And which casinos do the most for their players? That is a tough, tough question to answer. Um, you know, I think generally the cards kind of give you access to the same thing, and and it really depends on your tier level within the casino what you get out of it. Uh, I would argue that, I mean, just because I know Caesars the best, Caesars will give you a, a good amount, and you know where you stand, which I've kind of said is a down <laughs> down part point, but also um, it's very clear what you're getting comps for. It's very clear what you're racking up points for. Borgata, on the other hand, I don't gamble at Borgata nearly as much as I gamble at Caesars Properties. They are extremely, extremely generous with match play, which I'd rather have match play than $10 in slot play. So I would say that you know, maybe not in t terms of rooms, but in terms of gambling credits. Borgata is much, much better to me than Caesars is. I don't, I mean, we talked about how we gamble so much at Caesars, so it's not like we can really give great comparisons here, but I don't know, what is your experience with with the different cards? So I have a couple points. Uh, so first, Borgata, when you first sign up in their system with your card, they let you choose whether you want free slot play or match play right. as your rewards. So you get to make that choice yourself. Second, specifically to you, Craig, if you have $25 in free slot play or $25 in match play, they're basically equivalent to both you and the casino. So the crazy thing is I get like... It's just, it's just a mental thing that makes you think that they're different value. Right, so one of my complaints about Caesars is that I don't get $25 in slot play at Caesars. I get, like, well, maybe they claim it's $25, but I'll get, like, you can get $5 on Thursday or Friday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and another $5 on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and another $5, you know? It's it's all spread out in a way that makes it difficult. And then there's, like, all these exclusion dates. And it's like, okay, just, it's five freaking dollars on a slot machine that you know I'm getting nothing from. Like, just say, here's a $5 coupon at that point. Well, that that's fair, and that's that's a fair argument to make. Though, who knows how much slot play you'd be getting from Borgata? I would argue that if you're in twenty five dollars a match play, you'll probably would get twenty five dollars slot play. Right, because it's 
Actually, it's a tiny bit less valuable than match play because slot machines have worse odds than table games, but they're pretty close. Yeah, and I certainly feel like more of a high roller when I get the match play. So I would vote get the match play, even without the the stats that Kyle is backing up with. Just get the match play because you feel cooler with that match play coupon. So specifically, like which casino should you go to where you're going to feel the most appreciated? It, it all depends on what you're looking for. Like, if you want, like, the absolute best in Atlantic City, like, Borgata is absolutely the best place to go, uh, the best casino to play in, the nicest hotel rooms and all that. If you want to really be appreciated, I mean, it, it depends. It depends on your play level. It depends exactly what you're looking for. Um, I do have to say the employees at Borgata are great. You know, I think they're the best in Atlantic City by far. Um, but are you going to be appreciated as a player as much as at the Golden Nugget? Probably not, because, you know, Borgata makes so much more money than Golden Nugget does, so that the level of play that you provide might not be nearly as important to Borgata as it would to Golden Nugget. So it just depends on what you're looking for, and I would suggest that people, if going to Atlantic City frequently is going to be something that you do, you should shop around basically and see which casino you like the most and figure out where you're going to play. Yeah. And I think that's really a discussion. I had a whole diatribe written up about this actually (laughs) about, you know, the casinos in Atlantic city being very corporate and not feeling very personable. And I think really golden nugget and maybe even resorts are trying to fill that need for like, we want your play. You know, we want you here. So that's another reason I'm interested to see how Steve does with the host um, to see if he sort of gets that personalized attention. So a couple other quick questions. He asked, you know, how to get to the level of working with a host. We touched on that a little bit. Um, How is the player rating figured out? As I mentioned, a lot of the casinos don't want you to look and see their special sauce. They don't want you to know the the recipe. And uh, so... I think we covered that pretty well to as much as uh, as we could. So the last one is kind of a, a tough one to answer. It's a very personalized question, which is how do you get the most out of your gambling trips? And so, you know, what do you what do you think about that, Kyle? Like, what do you do to get the most out of your gambling trips, either from a you know comp perspective or just from the perspective that you feel like you're getting the most for yourself, enjoyment wise? I mean, it, this is going to be the same as my last answer, but it, it's that that's going to mean something totally different to every person. You know, there have been times in my life where the most I could get out of my gambling trips is by just going and gambling the entire time I was there. There were times in my life where, you know, going and getting a nice meal and, you know, relaxing and going shopping is how I get the most out of my trip to Atlantic City. Either. You know, it's just, it depends on what you want. So I think it's going to be different for every player. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's sort of figuring out what your sweet spot is. And that's something I feel like I've been pretty bad at doing, actually, (laughs) is figuring out, you know, how to divide my time. Um, And I certainly sort of thought of more things that I, that I want to spend my time on. Um, You know, one of the things that I would say is, is, if you're not at a level of working with a host and you're not at a level where, you have set expectations on you. It's just forget about the comps. 
play where you want to play, play where you enjoy the casino. I mean, for me, one thing that I would say more than anything is, like, I love Tropicana, and I spend so little time there because I feel like I'm such, uh, so stuck in the ecosystem of Caesars. Like, no, just go where you enjoy it, go play where you enjoy it. Another thing that I keep telling myself to do is sit down at a bar and pay for a damn drink. Like, it's, so it's so easy to get caught up in this idea of oh, I don't pay for the drinks. The drinks are free. You just sit down at a slot machine. Yeah, and between when you place that order and when you get a drink, your drink has cost you over twenty dollars. That's one thing. Um, you know, don't feel pressured to just gamble all the time. Um, which maybe you know, unless you enjoy it, which you know, we certainly had trips where we've just gone and it's been like wall to wall. Uh, sitting at tables, get up, go to another table, get up, go to another table. Um, but if if you're not feeling the gambling, at sometimes don't feel like you have to do it. Go sit and get food. Do go just wander around and take the experience in. And it's yeah, like you said, just figure out what's what's in it for you and what you like. Um, and and don't feel beholden to the comps. Don't feel like you need to get X number of teeter credits. Uh in the trip for it to be successful. And that's a tough thing to do. You know, when you really feel like, you know, if you're like me and you feel some sense of superiority, when you see comp in your rate calendar, <laughs> um, it's tough not to feel like, well, if I'm going to see that comp in there again, I need to make sure I get these tier credits in there. Like, just don't worry about that. Like the rooms are cheap anyway. Like, don't think about that. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's a vacation for you. Do what you want to do. And, you know, Craig says don't feel beholden to gamble the whole time, but believe me, there was a lot of times in my life where that's really what I wanted to do when I went to Atlantic City or Las Vegas, is I wanted to go and I wanted to gamble 16 hours a day and then go to sleep and wake up and then gamble 16 hours a day. And that was great for me. That was I was doing exactly what I wanted to do when I was doing that. And if that's what you want to do, you should do it. If that's not what you want to do and you want to do some other stuff, then you should do some other stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard to give a specific answer, um, but sort of the moral of what we've been talking about is just because you're in sort of this cycle of always going to the same casino and you feel like maybe they, since they give you a comp, you need to go there and then you need to get the next comp and you need to get the next comp, like, no, man, break that break that cycle if you can. Um, and we're going to try to do that, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think just spend time where you want to spend time and do what you want to do. And, like, if you have specific questions, you know, I'm always happy to, we're we're always happy to talk about them. Or if you have the more general philosophical questions, I think we're always happy to talk about them. But, you know, Atlantic City and Vegas and, you know, it's your personal time and you're spending your personal money and you should just, figure out what it is that you like there because what you like might be different than what I like. And there's a lot of different places for a lot of different tastes and, you know, you should just do what makes you happy there because that's why you're going. Yeah. So again, email us. I think that's good advice. We're at do for a win at gmail.com. I am pretty much on that email all the time now. I'm constantly checking it for, uh, hoping for more emails that we can talk about on the show. Uh, you can also reach out to us on Twitter. We, our handle is do for a win, uh, just like the show. The website is do for a win.com. If you add a comment there, we will see it. Uh, thank you for listening to the show. We are on iTunes, so search for us there. You can also find the feed on our website or on our Twitter. And we'll be back in two weeks with more. 
All right, great. We'll see you guys in a couple of weeks. I think that you'll have probably slightly more work to do than normal unless you want us just to sound like buffoons, which is fine with me, completely fine.